0: Daniel uh, chapter six, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to, to Daniel chapter six, there is, so we're talking about being exiles, living in exile, living in a culture that has shifted. And what does it mean to be an exile? Being an exile means that you find yourself um, usually almost, Every time, not by choice, but finding yourselves, finding yourself in a culture in a place that you didn't intend to be, that you never, maybe not, don't even want to be. That's the case with the Jewish people here in the story of Daniel. They were pulled out of, they were prisoners of war, taken out of Israel and placed into Babylon. And and they, ha- how do you exist? How do you live in a culture that's shifted? How do you live in a culture that's anti-God like Babylon was in comparison to to Jerusalem? How do you live? How do you do that? And this is, I think this is one of the things that's really difficult. I think one of the things that's really, really hard is that in every single one of us, there is a desire to belong. There's a desire to be accepted. There is a desire to want to be one of whatever group that you're with. And so that's a struggle for us. I remember when I was in sixth grade, we, we changed schools, or I changed schools. I started going to, I'd gone to this little country school and I was going to the big city school and I didn't know one person at our school. And so here I am, a sixth grader, trying to navigate my first year in middle school, not knowing anybody, not having a circle of friends. I'd gone to the, the, to the other school um, for, for most of my elementary years and so here I am finding myself in a strange environment like an exile. And, and so I, I was trying to find a friend group. I was trying to fit in. And so uh, I was probably uh, early to mid-80s when I was in six or probably 83, 84, something like that. So that's when Michael Jackson was like at his height, right? I mean, not in, not in how high, tall he was, but in popularity. And, and, and so, and so there, were, there, were, um, there were kids that were wearing the Michael Jackson look. You remember the Michael Jackson The parachute pants, like the plastic jacket, you know? the white glove. So I decided I'm gonna dress like those kids, right? Because I wanted to fit it, they seemed pretty cool, I wanted to fit them, so I got the parachute pants, I got the plastic jacket with the chain metal, you know? Didn't do the glove, never did the glove. But uh, So I tried that for a few weeks and I just felt like a poser, you know, the whole day. Parachute pants and me just didn't, it just wasn't, wasn't good, you know? So, so, so what will I do? So then I went with the, with the preppy look, right? So I got some 501 button flies and some polo shirts, and, and I tried that look, and, and it still didn't help me, like, fit in or find friends, because I was trying to do everything on, a, on an outward level, right, on just a surface level, but there was in me this deep longing of wanting to belong, which every single one of us have. Like last night, you know, I heard there was a fight going on, right? Between, um, what's their what's names? Yeah, Meriwether McGregor, thank you. So I haven't quit, I actually quit watching boxing back when um, Rocky Balboa defeated Clubber Lane for the World Championship, <laughs> right? That's, that's kind of, because after that they started charging. HBO Showtime started charging. I'm not paying that kind of money to watch a, a fight, you know? So I, I kind of haven't followed boxing for a lot of years. And, and, but I knew that a lot of guys would probably be talking about the fight today. So, so even last night, like I'm Googling the fight so I can read a little bit about it so I can interact with guys at church today and then to find out it's just delayed, right? So I'm going to bed, you know? So this morning I looked to see who won the fight because there's, there in all of us is this sense of wanting to be able to connect, wanting to be able to belong and to be able to interact with others, that, that's, that's a part of it. And so, so how do we do this? How do we do this to, in this world where we find ourselves exiles? We find ourselves as citizens of another country. And so we want to do everything we can to belong, but yet the very fact that we are exiles, that our home is another place, that we know Jesus, when he resurrected, he ascended to heaven to go and to prepare a place for us, that a city whose maker is God that he's there providing the way for us to, to, to be there. And he's preparing this place for us. So our home's not here. We're left as amb- ambassadors on this planet, in this place, to make a difference in this world. We're aliens and strangers, as Peter calls us in the New Testament, yet there's still this sensing of wanting to belong. So how do we navigate this? How do we, how do we live this out? Well, Daniel shows us how. Daniel gives us a great, great example because our identity is not found in the externals. Our identity is not find even, found even where we live, what we drive, what we have. Our identity is found in Christ. Our identity is found as who we are in God. And Daniel understood that. Daniel, he knew that. So he was able to navigate. He was able to navigate um, decades and decades of life in a very well in a, in a great way over the last we're week six now and we've covered 80 years of daniel's life in these last six weeks we started when he was about probably about 15 and the story that we find ourselves in today in, in daniel six daniel and the lions in, he's probably about 80 years old and so here this man has stayed faithful to god faithful to what god has called him to be and called him to do and we're going to read about Daniel, see Daniel's exceptional qualities this morning. Uh, so often, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den, uh, that's where our focus often goes. Even the story of Daniel, you know, our slides, our videos, everything has to do with the lions, right? I mean, that's what you remember when you think of Daniel, but it's actually the way Daniel lived is that was what got him in the lion's den. And so we're going to look at how Daniel lived, so maybe we can find ourselves in a lion's den. Can I? Get an amen, or not, or not, okay. D- Daniel chapter six, verse verse one. It pleased Darius, Darius is the new king. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So there's there's just three, right? Daniel's one of the top three in the whole nation, and, and he's in exile. Like, he wasn't even one of them. He wasn't a Mede, he wasn't a Persian, which Darius was. He wasn't a Babylonian, which is the home country where they're finding themselves. He was in exile, yet he was one of the top three. Top three, it's amazing. And so the satraps were made accountable to them, uh, one of these three administrators, so that the king might not suffer loss. So Daniel was one of those. Darius knew that if Daniel was in charge, he would not suffer loss, that he would protect the king's assets. He would protect the king's reputations. Reputation, and as we look at Daniel, as we look at this life, I want us to look at our own individual lives. I want us to look at how we live life, how we do life. Could that be said about us? You know, could your employer would you want, would you be one of the top three where you work because your employer would say, you know, what, I can trust this person. I know our company. I know I won't. I won't have loss. If this person right here is leading teams, if this person's in charge, I can trust them. They're a person of character. I can, I can let them run things because I know we won't suffer loss if they lead it. Now, Daniel's so distinguished. Man, Just can we just say that word together, distinguished? Daniel's so distinguished. He's, I, just, I love that word. He so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. That's what we're talking about this morning. Daniel's exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So not only was he one of the 120, not only was he one of the three, he, he even rose up to the highest level of the three. And at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find ground for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs. Some scholars would say they wanted to steal. They wanted to have their cut, and they knew if Daniel was over them, they wouldn't get their cut. And he didn't like that. That's what some scholars would say. But they were unable to do so. A politician for probably 65 years and no corruption. That's a miracle, isn't it? Nothing in him. Nothing. They couldn't find anything. They were unable to, so they could find no corruption because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. He showed up 100% every day, every day. Finally, these men said, we will never find anything, any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. We're never gonna find anything. So let's look at these exceptional qualities. Let's look at these. And this is, this is where I'm going with this, Okay. So if Daniel had these exceptional qualities, how can we have these exceptional qualities? And what are these exceptional qualities? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says this. It says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, that's you and I, and we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, Isn't that powerful? Isn't that beautiful? And we are being transformed. It doesn't mean we're all there yet. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but we're in the process of being transformed into his likeness, into the likeness of Jesus Christ with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So if we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ, what does the likeness of Christ look like? what does Jesus really look like, okay? And so I'm gonna go deep here for for a few minutes, okay? So those of you that like to go deep, here you go. I got something deep for you. Here we go. Revelation chapter four, six, and seven. And this is a vision that that, uh, John had of Jesus, okay? And in the center, around the throne, this is in heaven, were four living creatures. Actually, it was one creature with four faces is, is, is a way to interpret that. And they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third the face of a man, and the fourth was flying like an eagle. You guys are like, where are you going with this, Jay? Okay, just keep tracking with me. Ezekiel chapter one, verse 10. Ezekiel had this same vision. Okay, the same vision that John had, Ezekiel had. And it says, their faces looked like this, each of the four had a, <clears throat> had a face of a human being. On the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox. Eh, eh, uh, okay, had a face of a human, had a face of a lion, had a face of an ox, and had a face of an eagle. This was a vision of Jesus that Ezekiel was having. This was a vision of the Lord that he was having. You're like, okay, where are you going with this? Where, where are you at? Well, this, many scholars would say that even these four aspects of Jesus would represent each of the four Gospels, and that each one of these uh, pictures of Jesus actually reflect a a ministry of Jesus, an expression of Jesus. Uh, Our church, Grace Church, is part of a group of churches called the Four Square Churches. And I know the word foursquare isn't a word that's, that's used a whole lot today. In fact, Webster says it's in the lowest 30% of English words that are used. So I know it's not thrown out a lot, but when the founder of our, of our fellowship of churches, it was, it was a lady, um, her name was Amy Simple McPherson, and when she uh, started uh, our denomination, our fellowship, part of it was an understanding of this passage in Ezekiel and in Revelation that this was And and it was a picture of Jesus. It's it's an expression of Jesus' ministry. And so what the four-square church means is it's called the four-square gospel. And so what the four-square gospel is, is it's a a gospel, it's an understanding of the ministries of Jesus. And these four faces are the four ministries of Jesus, that the face of the man, the face of the man is a picture of, of Jesus that has come as our Savior, that Jesus is our savior. That's one of the four faces, the other face is an ox, and that is Jesus is our healer, that, that he has come, he's that ox, he's that burden bearer. In the Old Testament, it was an ox that was sacrificed um, and so he has come to be our healer. So Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our healer. That uh, the face of a lion is, is the picture of Jesus as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit who brings boldness, who brings conviction, um, and, and baptizer of the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's another ministry of Jesus that he's our Savior, he's our healer, he's a baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus, this face of an eagle, is a symbol of Jesus as our soon-returning king, that Jesus is our savior, Jesus is our healer, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is our soon-coming king. And that's what the four-square gospel means. That's the the message that we preach, is that that's who Jesus is, that's his ministry. That is what he has come to do. And so even the word Foursquare means forthright, it means balanced, it means straightforward, the word foursquare, you call somebody a foursquare citizen or he approached that in a foursquare way, it means complete, it means boldness, it means integrity, it means balanced, it means forthright and that's an example of who Daniel was, that's a description of Jesus and that's a description that God is calling each one of us to be and so we're gonna look at each one of these four symbols just real quick and if if we're called to look like Jesus, And if Jesus looks like an ox, if he looks like a man, if he looks like a lion, if he looks like an eagle, well, where does that put us, right? So turn to your neighbor and and either call him a a, a lion, an eagle, an ox, or a man, okay? So just do that, just do that real quick, okay? Yeah. So you're called to, that's what we're called to look like. I'm glad nobody left just then, I'm really, okay. So first one, an ox, an ox. The face of an ox. So, the way I believe this applies to us, what this looks like for us is that the face of an ox is the face of a servant. The face of one who serves, the burden bearer, that God has called us to be servants. Daniel was a servant. Daniel was a servant to every administration that he worked with. And it was an exceptional quality that set him apart. And if we're going to live like Daniel, if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to be able to excel at being exiles in a culture that shifted, we need to be people who are servants. 1 Corinthians nine nineteen says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible, that I voluntarily serve those around me, that I voluntarily change the atmosphere of where I work because of the attitude that I bring to work. I change the atmosphere in my home because of the attitude of serving in my home, serving in my neighborhood, serving in my church, that, that I, I don't come, I'm, not, I'm like Jesus. I, I don't wanna come up and see who's gonna serve me. I wanna show up and see who I can serve. And that's an exceptional quality. That's a quality you don't find a lot. Isn't that true? And it's a quality that will distinguish us as people, that will cause us to be, to be set apart, to, to be set out, that, that even Jesus as our great burden bearer, this healer. Jesus is the healer, so like he, as we come to serve, we can bring healing and we can bring reconciliation to those around us. Daniel served three administrations up to this point and he was, his goal, his only agenda in each one of them was simply to serve, simply to serve. And that we would have that kind of an attitude, a you first attitude, I'm second or I'm third attitude and put others in front of ourselves. You know, honor's really been lost in our culture today. Have you guys noticed that? Man, honor is, and because it's so rare, honor is more valuable than it's ever been. And I promise you, if you honor those that you work with, if you honor your family, you, you show honor to those around you, it will distinguish you and you'll be considered exceptional. And I'm telling you, it'll make a difference for Jesus wherever you find yourself. And so the second face that we're gonna look at is the face of man. The face of man, we know Jesus came as our savior. And so I, I, I'm attributing this, this face, this feature, not only called to be a servant, but we're called to love. That we're called to love. That was Jesus' motivation for everything. I mean, we even know God is love. We know that God sent his son Jesus to die for us. Why? Because he so loved us. Because he so loved us, he sent his son to die for us. That that is his motivation for everything. John 13, 34 through 35 says, Jesus said this. He said, I have a new command I give you. He says, he says, I want you to grab this, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How are people gonna know we're his disciples? By love, but not by what we just say, not by a political affiliations, not by size of churches, not by clothes that we wear, not by T-shirts, not by jewelry. Right? But by love, by love, that's the distinguishing factor, is love. Martin Luther, the great reformer in the 15th century, uh, talked about this. He talked about loving the world through our vocation, through where God has placed us. Because God's placed us. He's strategically placed every one of us. all if you live here in Springfield the Southwest Missouri, he's placed you here. If you're visiting from out of town, wherever you're from, God has placed you. In, in, in a place, and if you're still working, um, in, in a vocation, and this is what this is what Martin Luther said about different vocations. He says that our vocations are masks of our Lord Jesus behind which He wants to be hidden and do all things. What does that mean? That means that, in effect, God is hiding in you, in your vaca, in your vocation, maybe in your vacation too, but. But in your vocation, that he can be seen, that he can be revealed where you are every day. That it's more than just about getting a paycheck. It's about revealing Christ where you are, that he disguises himself in your vocation so he can show up at your place of work where you go to school. Uh, Doesn't that change things? Doesn't that give you a different perspective that we don't work as unto man, but we work as unto the Father, and that's how Daniel showed up. That's, that's how Daniel showed up every day. I remember when I was uh, transitioning from, from, from high school and into college, uh, I worked at a rental store for a number of summers. Every break, I would go work, and I would even travel. Some, some, a couple of families in our church owned this rental store, you know, equipment rental, uh, and uh, we would, I'd, even if I was away from college, I would come home on vacation, on break, and other people want to take vacation. So I would just fill in, I would service equipment, I'd load equipment, unload equipment, clean equipment, check people out, whatever, whatever was needed. And, and it was amazing as I watched over a period of three or four years of just being in and out of this business during times of the year, the number of people that would be hired to work at this business that would come to Christ. They would come to Christ. And, and I'm telling you, the, the, the people that own this business, and, and I love them, and, and, and I do, I want you, I, I love them, but they were the most boring people in the world, right? It wasn't their charisma that led people to Jesus. I, they were hardworking folks that just showed up, but they were real, and they loved others, and they loved the Lord, and they, didn't, they weren't cramming religion down anybody's so throat. They were just living their life, But the way that they lived their life, when people that were broken, when people that were hurting began to work there, they'd start going to church with them. They would start, they just, their lives are just radically transformed just because these people just showed up at work and just loved and just served and just honored and just lived, lived it. They just truly, truly lived it. So the third face is the face of an eagle. The face of an eagle. Of our, Jesus, our soon coming king. And and when I think of eagle, I think of a couple of things. One thing I think of is respect. I think, don't when you see an eagle, when you see a, a bald eagle, doesn't it just immediately just, just command respect? And we see him every once in a while down here at Lake Springfield, don't we? If you're down there, you'll see him. When I was fishing in, in Montana a few weeks ago, we were we were going down the river, and this beautiful bald eagle just, I mean you couldn't even hear it, right? Because it wasn't even flapping its wings. It was just Soaring and and it was just majestic. I mean, I wanted to stand up in that boat and salute and start pledge of allegiance. You know, I mean, it was beautiful, right? I had no idea what the bird what the bird was thinking. I think he was thinking, "You sorry, fisherman. I could grab any of those fish anytime I want." I think he was making fun of us, but he was just so majestic. It just just the respect, and we, he was just being who he is. He wasn't demanding it. He wasn't asking for it. It was just who he is. Matthew 5:13 and 16 says, "You are the salt of the earth." But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. By men, "You are the light of the world." A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. They may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Those are distinguishing features. That's what happened with Daniel. Daniel would live his life and God would use him and God would receive glory for they say so there is a God, there is one true God. We know it because of how Daniel lives and what God does through through Daniel. I remember when I moved to L.A. to go to school, I was I was looking for a job and I was going to school in San Dimas, California, and, and there was a an auto parts store there called San Dimas Auto Parts, and I and I went in and, and I applied for a job at the auto parts store, and 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 uh, when he heard that I was a Midwest boy, he hired me on the spot. He said, you're from Oklahoma, I'll hire you right now. He goes, I can't get these California boys to work, but you're a Midwest boy, I know you'll work. And, and he goes, you ever haul hay? I go, yes, sir. He goes, you're hired. And so he hired me on the spot to deliver auto parts. I had the job for several years. Because there was a reputation that Midwest farm boys, I wasn't a farm boy, but you know, he, 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 he I, I bailed hay, right? So I guess that was enough for a California person. But but I mean, he, there's a reputation that he had had good success with people from the Midwest. And so I got a job. And, and I've thought about that over the years. That What if that could be the kind of reputation that believers have? Because I'll be honest with you, it's not, always, it's, not, it's not always that way. In fact, it's usually, can I be so honest, it's usually not that way? I'm just gonna be honest with you guys. There's times when people tell me, oh, you should use them, they're a Christian business owner. And I'm like, "You, I don't know. Because a lot of interactions I've had with Christian business owners, the work's been inferior and I've got rip, been ripped off. Yeah. But because they're Christian, you're not supposed to confront them on it, right? I'm telling you, that is not what God wants of us. He wants us to be exceptional. He wants us to go the extra mile. He wants us to go beyond. Let's don't use labels like Christian and all this stuff if it's not the best, if we're not, if we're not just giving it all. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to bring discredit to our God's name. I don't want to do that. I want, I want it there to be respect. I want there to be honor that's attributed to him. That, that, that's what I want. I want to be salt and I want to be light. I want to I be salt and light where I work. But friends, your boss, he doesn't pay you to evangelize. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean you don't live for God. But have you ever been around a Christian at work and they just want to talk about God all the time and you're like... No, you don't. You're just lazy. You guys never worked with anybody like that? Man, I have. It's like, shut up and get to work. You're making us look bad. It doesn't mean you don't don't share your faith. It doesn't mean you don't live for God, but it means you do the work that you're hired to do. And when you do that work, when you do it with excellence, when you do it with all the ability and the skill and the passion and the honor, with a servant's heart that God has given you, then you stand out, then you excel, then you're trusted with more, and you have the respect of your coworkers, of your customers, of your bosses, and it makes a difference in people's lives. It makes a difference. I, th- I think of Jesus as an eagle, as our soon-coming king of, of, being, of being hope, of having that hope that Jesus is coming, and I, and I believe as we live our lives that we can inspire hope in a hopeless world around us, that by the way we live, the way we love our families, the way we serve, that we can have exceptional attributes, exceptional qualities because of the hope that our lives can, can inspire. Just just last Sunday night, a week ago today, Heather and I were in, a, were in Kansas City. Left right after service last week, her cousin was getting married in, in, in downtown Kansas City. So we were, we were there, it was a beautiful wedding, we had a, a beautiful dinner, and after the dinner, they got everybody to come onto the, the dance floor for a group photo. When they did that, I said to Heather, I go, it's a trick. They're just trying to get everybody to come out here and dance, right? And I was right; it was true. Like, so they got everybody out for, and they, we weren't even organized. They faked some pictures and started the music, and they said, "Okay, now that everybody's out here, let's dance." And so they started the music, and you know, people kind of started, you know, you know, splitting and 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 there's, there's a couples dance, right? All the married couples, uh, you know, dance. So Heather and I, you know, we're out there dancing. <laughs> Yeah, you should see me dance. It's quite a sight. So, so we're we're out there dancing. So the idea was is that whoever's up there the longest, you know, whoever has been married the longest, they like win or whatever it is. So, so you know, there's a bunch of couples out there. There's a big wedding. There's a lot of people and and so if you've been if you've been married less than less than 5 years, sit down. You know, so a bunch of people sit down. If you've been married less than 10 years or 10 years or less, sit down everybody. You know, all these people start sitting down. And when they, got, when they hit 15 or less, like, psh, like I mean, it got thin quick. Well, Heather and I are still out there, right? So if you've been married 20 years or less, sit down. And we're still out there, you know. And, and people are looking at us like either like, like, you know, either you're deaf or you're lying. Like, you, you didn't hear. You need to sit down. There's only four couples left. And, 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 and so then they, 25 years or less, so, so we had to sit down and her parents were actually number two, and the, uh, the 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 couple that had been married the longest, 50 years, they were still out there dancing. Yeah, but we were 22 and a half, and we were the fourth, I mean, this huge wedding of hundreds of people, we were the fourth longest married couple at this wedding. I thought a couple of things. I thought, good for us, and and I thought, how sad, how sad. But then I thought, I'm gonna be one of those 50. You know, I'm gonna be, we're gonna be one of those old couples someday that wins that dance contest (laughs) because we're still out there. You know what I'm saying? And as I thought about that, as I thought about this passage, I said, hopefully that inspired some young people. There's just a lot of young people. Hopefully it inspired them that you can have a great marriage. You can do life together. You can make it work. You can make it work that they would inspire hope in others. I believe the Lord's called us to live those kinds of lives. And finally, finally, the, the lion, the face of boldness, that Jesus is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without exception, there's a boldness that comes on you to share the gospel, to be who God has called you to be in an unprecedented way. And so we're called to live a life of boldness. Proverbs 28, one says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. And finding ourselves in a in a in a in a culture that shifted, finding ourselves in a culture that we're exiles, we're aliens, we're strangers. That the message I hear, message I hear to Christians through the church is, "Hey, shut up! Hey, be quiet! You can do what you want in your home and you can do what you want in your church, but outside of those areas, you don't have a voice. Be quiet. Shut up. Be silent." And I'm telling you. That's not what God has called us to be. That's not what he's called us to do. He's not called us to be silent. He's called us to be bold. Now, I'm not saying he's called us to be rude, right? There's a difference. He's called us to be bold, to be bold in our faith, to be bold in our walk, to be bold in what God has called us to do. Friends, that we would be known more for what we're for than what we're against, right? But we would live life boldly. A friend of mine said this, and I love it. He said, it's not about imposing your faith on others, but exposing your faith in front of others. That's worth repeating. It's not about imposing your faith on others, but exposing your faith in front of others. So how should we respond? How do we respond as, to, to the culture around us? John chapter 1, 14 said, the word, which is Jesus, the word became flesh and, and made his dwelling among us. That's how we do it as well, that we incarnate the culture around us. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, but yet we, we, we exist within it and we operate within it. And it says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And those two things right there are the key. Grace and truth, and Jesus is both. Grace is a person. His name is Jesus. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. And we're called to live lives of grace and truth. Why grace? Because we all need a Savior. Every single one of us need a Savior. Not one of us are better than anybody else, and every single one of us need a Savior. And we come with a heart of grace, and we come with a heart of reaching out, and we come with a heart of giving our lives for others, but also truth. Truth, because truth is the only thing that can set people free. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we minister in grace, we also minister in truth. That's what Jesus did to the woman at the well, right? He forgave her of her sins. He said, go and and sin no more. It's it's grace and it's truth. It's grace and it's truth. The rest of the story in Daniel chapter six goes like this. Daniel's a man of prayer that when, they, when they, they exposed him, they went to the king, they got him to pass a law that said you, you, you can't pray, you can only pray to Darius for the next 30 days. But Daniel's a man of prayer didn't waver, he was a man of conviction and he went and he prayed the same place, the same time as he always did. It was his habit. When the law changed, he didn't freak out and go pray, he went and prayed like he did every day. He was a man of prayer. You know they say that that we make our habits and then our habits make us. And that's exactly what happened with Daniel. He was a man of prayer, but do you understand the way he lived his life got him in the lion's den? The fact that he didn't bow, the fact that he lived holy, the fact that he lived grace and truth, the fact he had distinguishing qualities, the fact that, that he stood out is what caused him to be thrown in a lion's den. And we're promised persecution, friends. We're promised trouble. And I can't promise you that if you live for Jesus, if you serve him, that if you're the face of a man, of a lion, of an ox, of an eagle, that it won't cost you something. In fact, it probably will cost you something at some point. It probably will, but no, just as with Daniel, Jesus will be with you. He'll be with you, and then, so what happened, right? Daniel was thrown in that den of lions. Darius couldn't change the the, the, the the outcome. He threw him in there. Then he went and he asked him, he said, he said, Daniel, has your God been with you? And he said, oh, King Darius, the Lord has been with me. And he shut the mouth of these lions. Friend, I don't know what pit you may find yourself in today, I don't know what difficulty. I don't know if it's financial. I don't know if it's health. I don't know if it's relational. I don't know if it's vocational. I don't know if it's persecuted for living for Jesus. I don't know what pit you find yourself in. I don't know what lions with their nasty, gnarly breath and large teeth, what demons are looking at you, what things are trying to take you out. But friend, I'm here to tell you, Jesus, whatever pit you're in, Jesus is in that pit with you. You are not alone in that pit. He is with you. He is for you. He is not against you. And he will be with you. And he'll walk with you. And he'll be close to you. That's the promise we have from him. He'll be with you. He's with you. Will you bow your heads and, Close your eyes with me this morning. If you're in a pit this morning today, and you say, I need Jesus' rescue, I need his help in this pit that I find myself in, would you, would you simply slip your hand up this morning? I want to pray for you. I know that was only 30 seconds of my message, but I believe there's some people here today that need that. I'm going to let you stay where you are. I just want to know who I'm praying for. If that's you, if you're in a pit today, would you raise your hand? Yeah, all over the place, I see your hands. Lord, I pray for those that find themselves in a pit today. Lord, I pray for those that that are looking a lion in the face. Lord, I pray you would shut the mouth of that lion in Jesus' name. Lord, that you'd be with them. Lord, you'd be close to them. Lord, that you would protect them. Lord, you would guard them in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Lord, I pray that we would be people with excellent attributes. Lord, we would be people who are distinguished, Lord. Because of the way we live for you, Lord, we'd be salt and we would be light to everyone around us. Lord, help us. We can't do it without you, Lord. We need your grace and we need your truth in our life. In Jesus, Jesus' mighty name.